So I want to make one uh, quick announcement, and then I'm going to read from the book of James as before Pastor Billy comes up here this morning. I just want to remind you that next Sunday, September the 8th, we're going to be having our anniversary picnic. Um, it's exciting to think through the idea that we are now 11 years into Centerpoint Bible Church, and God has been so faithful to us, allowing us to be the tool that he uses to reach our community. And, and what a wonderful thing for us to be able to celebrate and uh, to just be able to, to realize the greatness of our God and the way that he uses. Five o'clock at Randy and Carla Pearl's house, we're going to be having our anniversary picnic. The information about it is in your worship notes. You can see an address there. You can see what they're asking you to bring, what's going to be provided. And so I hope that uh, you will plan on being a part of that next week, 5 o'clock at the Pearl's house. But along with that, one of the things that really brings me great excitement is the idea that we're going to have the opportunity to see some people get baptized. And uh, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ... And you have never been baptized. You need to understand God has called you to that. That is something that you are called to do. To publicly express the idea that you stand with, have been saved by, and are being led by our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so if you have never been baptized, I hope that you will take that step of faith uh, next week. And if you are interested in that, you need to see Pastor Billy today. And following, it says during the focus hour, but it's actually following the, the focus hour today, there's going to be a class just to go over some information about what baptism is to make sure we have a full understanding of it. And uh, Pastor Billy's going to be taking care of that. So please see him today if you have interest in being baptized next week. Let me read a short passage out of the book of James. Then I'm going to pray for us and Pastor Billy's going to come. James 1, says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Let's pray together. God, we thank you today that we have the opportunity to sing praises to you. I thank you, God, that we have the opportunity to hear from your word. I thank you for your faithfulness to us. And I just pray, God, that this would be a wonderful time of fellowship together around your word right now. Be with Pastor Billy. Give him the words to say. He is your servant. He is prepared. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will work greatly through him this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, surprise, I'm not Lowell. Uh, Pastor Lowell's not here this morning. Uh, he actually was asked just very briefly, you know what, thank you. We will dismiss the kids, four years old to third grade. You guys are dismissed at this time. And uh, I won't start my sermon for a couple minutes, so you guys are safe. Um, 
Uh, Pastor Lowell's not here this morning, and uh, the reason he's not here is because he was asked by Fellowship Bible Church to come and give a little report of what's going on at Centerpoint Bible Church. If you don't know Fellowship Bible Church, it actually was a church that I was at before I came to Centerpoint Bible Church. So I was there from 2002 to 2008, and uh, I served there as a youth pastor. And uh, if, you, if you don't really under, know the history about Centerpoint Bible Church, there was a large group of people that made the decision to plant a church from Independent Bible Church. And there was also a group of people from Fellowship Bible Church that joined together to cooperatively plant Centerpoint Bible Church. So we would consider the phrases, we would consider that Independent Bible Church would be the mother church planning a daughter church. And also, to a degree, Fellowship Bible Church was also a mother church helping to plant that same daughter church. But the way that we work, the way that our churches work, we would now consider ourselves sister churches, churches that are together, doctrinally the same, focused on the same thing, the same direction, pointing people to Jesus Christ and his word. And Pastor Lowell was asked to go to fellowship and give a little update um, on what's going on in, uh, uh, in the life of Centerpoint Bible Church. If you, if you don't know, um, and maybe you do know, we are in some exciting times at Centerpoint Bible Church, and we are on the cusp of some great changes, but really remaining the same focus. But as we know, we're meeting here at Faith Christian Academy, but uh, there's a potential for us to be able to move back to the Springmills area, um, and hopefully there's some information on the back if you, if you don't know about that. But pray, pray that the Lord would continue to open, open the doors for us to be able to walk into uh, 728 T.J. Jackson Drive in that facility there. And, uh, and Fellowship Bible Church was inquiring to see how they might be able to partner with us in that, knowing where our, where our next steps are. So uh, in your hearts, you could be praying for Pastor Lowell, as uh, he might even be speaking right now. Uh, there's a couple different services there, and he has to do that for a couple different services. Just giving an update on, uh, on the life of Centerpoint Bible Church. Um, also, before I begin my, my message, uh, I, wanna, I wanted to say, past couple of weeks I've not had the opportunity to say this, and I wanted to say it before I began, was that we're going to be taking a trip. A few people from Centerpoint Bible Church are going to be taking a missions trip to the Dominican Republic, and that's going to be happening October 11th to the 18th. And uh, we've had, our, our group has gotten large and then small and then larger, and now it's we're settled down in a, in a targeted small group of people from within our church that are going to be going to the Dominican Republic October 11 to 18, and we're going to be doing uh, what we do here, pointing people to Jesus Christ and his word. We're not going to be building a structure. We're not going to be ha- holding a, a medical clinic. We're not going to be um, do, doing a vacation Bible school or anything like that. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be targeting uh, and focused on presenting the gospel, showing other people how to correctly share the gospel, and then walking with the, the people, the nationals that are there in the Dominican Republic, walking with them and hand in hand going out in the community and sharing the gospel with people. 
this is a, an, a, an exciting moment for, for Centerpoint Bible Church to be able to do this. We do it a little bit the same way with our gospel conversation training, but we'll be doing it in a totally different culture. The culture there is very open and very welcoming to, to people to welcome in, them into their homes, but they are just as lost as, as us, as our community here. So uh, we'll be actually training, training some pastors from different areas that are going to be coming in for training, and then they're going to be going to their church to do that training as well. So it's going to be a week long. And what I, what I, request, what I request from you is this. <clears throat> we need people to pray. We need people to pray. If you would like to commit to pray every day, October 11 to 18, specifically for our team, then I'd like you to t- talk to me afterwards. If you got any, need any more details about the trip, I'll gladly explain them to you. But uh, we need prayer partners. We need prayer warriors. We need people that will, that will get on their knees and, and beg God to open the hearts and minds of the people of the Dominican Republic. Unveil their eyes so that they might see the truth of the reality of the saving faith of Jesus Christ. And that's what, uh, that's what we need most. So if you're interested in that, come see me afterwards, and I'll give you more details. <clears throat> well, uh, this, this week, was it this week, I believe, uh, August 28th, we welcomed a new person into our church family, and it's Addison Rose Williams. So Brett and Alexa, well, mainly Alexa, had this child. Brett, Brett was just there. He was there. But uh, Alexa had this healthy baby girl. I have some details. Seven pounds, 12 ounces, 19 and a half inch, inches long, born on Wednesday, uh, August 28th. And uh, everything is good. They're healthy and, and, uh, and enjoying this new child. You know, it's good that we can welcome children into into the Centerpoint Bible Church family. It's good that we have young people walking out and going down the, the hallway to the classes. It's good that we have uh, middle-aged people that are raising kids, slightly older than middle-aged people that are letting their kids go, slightly older than older than middle-aged people that are here, that are here. It, it is a sign of a healthy church when you have all ages represented in, in the body. And uh, we're thankful for that, for that birth. Last week, there was, a, there was a reference from Pastor Lowell about a man that, that actually <clears throat> finished the course of his life here on this earth. And uh, his name's Calvin Grove, Calvin Grove. And I was fortunate enough yesterday to be, uh, to be at the funeral service for Calvin and to hear people give glory to God over the life of a man that has spent his life serving Jesus Christ. Thinking about the birth, thinking about death, it really has caused me this week to to pause and contemplate my life and what I'm doing for Christ. So, uh, I'd like you to open up your Bibles to Matthew 7, if you could. (laughs) 
I believe God's word is perfect, without error. It's profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction, for training in righteousness, and also to cause us to contemplate, to contemplate ourselves, to find out if we are in line with what God's Word says. We're continuing on the, uh, on the path of Matthew 5 to 7. <clears throat> we are ending Matthew 7. Actually, next week we're going to end with the, path, the, the last two verses, I believe, in Matthew 7. But I have the privilege of, of being able to unpack four verses in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. And that's where we'll be. <clears throat> and, and discuss this and un- unpack this parable for us all. And it, uh, it is a simple parable. One that we know. One that we think we may know too well. But one that we should revisit. And dive into and see what the Lord has to say specifically to each and every one of us here. And before I read, I read Matthew seven twenty-four to twenty-seven. I I thought, what is something that I want every person? What what do I want every person here to leave with? To leave chewing in their mind, contemplating when they walk out of these doors. When the when nine forty when nine forty comes, and it will come quickly. When 940 comes and, you, and we, gather our, we gather the chairs, we put them up on racks and walk out this door, what do I want people to remember? Do I want people to remember uh, an antidote that I said, something, something funny that I've said? Do I want them to remember something humorous about my life or a phrase that my mom would say? You know, I often bring up phrases my mom says. You know, do I want them to remember that? Or do I want them to remember this? This is what I want when you leave. This is what I want to, you to have in your mind. I want number one, I want you to examine your life, nobody else's. I want you to examine your life in Jesus Christ. I want you to make adjustments at all costs, at all costs, to be in line with Jesus Christ. And not only that, I want you to act in accordance to Scripture, to the life that He has called you to. So I want you to examine your life in Christ. I want you to make adjustments at all costs to be in line with Christ. Not only that, I want you to take the next step and I want you to act, to act in accordance with Scripture to the life He's given you. Examine, adjust, and act. So let's take a look. Let's take a look at Matthew 7. Verses 24 to 27. <clears throat> I'm reading out of the NIV, but I'll hopefully I'll be pulling a couple different versions out here and, and referencing some things here. Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And it says here in the, in the ESV on the screen, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And great was the fall of it. This small parable, seemingly simple, we've, we, maybe some of us sang the song, you know, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. You may have heard that song or maybe sung that song at a vacation Bible school or growing up as a kid. And based on this scripture, often isn't it interesting that, that, we, that we sing little kids' songs and they have deeper meanings than, the, than, than we realize when we're singing these songs. Now, this parable, I believe, is the hinge, is the hinge from Matthew, 7, Matthew 5 to 7 to Matthew 8 and beyond. So this is the last thing. The Sermon on the Mount begins at Matthew 7. Jesus sees the crowds. He goes up on the mountainside. He sits down. Typical for the, I'm standing and you all are sitting. Typical of that time when someone would, were to preach or uh, someone in authority were to preach, they would sit down and everyone else would stand around them. He goes and he sits down and everyone gathers around to hear what he has to say. So we know Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we will call the Sermon on the Mount. He just unloads on so many things, topics, points, corrections in life. So the hinge for Matthew 7 right here that we just read is the last thing he says for the Sermon on the Mount before it transitions to Matthew 8. In Matthew 8, he begins going through all the towns and villages and healing many that were sick. Uh, Matthew, Matthew 9 actually gives, the, gives, the, uh, gives a conclusion here. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. He's preaching, he's teaching, and he's healing. This begins in Matthew 8. But before that, the last thing he says is this parable, this parable. So if you've been here the past couple of weeks, you know that Jesus is calling us to a choice. We would call it a binary choice. A binary means there's only two. There's only two. Earlier in the passage of Matthew 7, wide is the path, narrow is the path. Wide, narrow. There's only two choices. We also have false and true as far as, as, far as these prophets we have good and bad. We have good fruit. We have bad fruit. Good trees and bad trees. And we have wise and foolish in this parable. Wise and foolish. So in a world of choices, Jesus just gives us two. Two choices. Two choices. Like a light switch. On or off. Think about it that way. So a parable. A parable is simply a story to illustrate a spiritual lesson. 
And when we jump into parables, one thing that we do at Centerpoint Bible Church is we, we do what's called exegete, um, which means, or expository preaching, which means we go verse by verse, line by line, sometimes word by word. And we jump into the Bible, we find out what the Bible says, and then we share it. Other churches do it slightly differently. They think about what they want to communicate, and then they look to find a phrase or a saying in Scripture, and then they communicate what they want, and they squeeze it into, they squeeze it into that phrase or, that, or that, that, little, that little few little words or that little verse. And then they try to find other places in, in the Bible that justify what they want to say to make it make sense. Um, I must admit, I am not that smart. I can't do that. I can't do that. Because I would run out of things to say. I, I, I would run out of my own thoughts. And so I must fall. We all must fall on God's word and rest on what it says. And that's why we go line by line. So let's unpack this parable. Let's take a look. And what, what typically would happen is when you look at a parable, again, it's a simple story to illustrate a spiritual lesson, is you look at what's going on in the parable and you try to find out different characters in, in the story. You find out different things that are happening in the story. And then this, this uh, fabricated story, this, this fable, this, this parable, is used to illustrate something that is, in, that is happening in real life. So let's take a look and see, what, see what's in it. First thing I thought we should do is take a look at the builders. It says, verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So we have a builder. Later in the passage in verse 26, we have another builder. We have another builder. So who are these builders that he is referencing? In the parable, there's only two, a wise and a foolish one. But think about the context of where he's speaking. He is not speaking to people that are irreligious, that have no religion. He's speaking to people that are following him. That are, that are listening to him, that want to glean truth. We would, we would call them religious seekers, people that want to hear religious truth. Uh, the, uh, the passage, the, the verses before that says uh, in, um, in verse 21 of, of Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So we understand when he shares this parable, we look right before in the, in the NIV, it says, therefore, or in the ESV, it says, now then, or everyone then. So we look previously to find out exactly what he's referencing. And he's not referencing He's not referencing the whole world. He's referencing those that are in this small community of people that are listening to him or 
that are claiming that they know him or they're claiming that they're doing things on his behalf. This is a, this is a, uh, I've heard, I, I read someone say this, this is the saddest portion of scripture. This is the saddest portion of scripture and let me explain why. It's not talking about Buddhists or Hindus or Muslims. It's not talking about people that, that are completely following something that is false, that is not the truth. It's people that are within. The people that are within, that are listening and thinking, thinking that they're doing what is right, that they're, they're following this, this code, this standard that they're following. If you, if you uh, want some more information about that, uh, Pastor Brock and I teach a, a class in Galatians, and it really has a lot of discussion on that about, about what people are following and why they're following and, and who, should they, who should they be following and, and why. And if you're interested in it, in our focus group, we meet out here in the, in the portable. But these are people from within the body. Modern day, we would say they're people within the church, within the church. There are people meeting right now in a so-called church and hearing a so-called person open up the Bible and tell them so-called truths. And they're leaving, living so-called lives. And they will stand before God and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. This is what Jesus is, is hammering down on with this parable. So we have two builders. You have two builders. What I thought we would do is look at the similarities of the builders and then look at the differences of the builders. And then we'll look at a decision that we need to make as builders. So let's look at the similarities. Um, hmm. Let's see here. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, verse 26, but everyone who hears these words of mine, if you were to take verses 24 and 25, and we take verses 26, 27, and we overlay them, we lay them one on top of the other, we will see, it's, it's like uh, you put two pieces of paper and hold them up to the light, and most things are the same, but there's a couple things that are different. We will see that there are many similarities to these two builders. The first thing is that they both, they both heard the message. They both heard the message. Again, Jesus is teaching the parable. He's there in front of the people. What's the last thing he says? The people are listening and he's telling a story to teach them a lesson. The people here, the, the so-called two builders are in his presence as he's sharing truth with them. They both, they both heard the message. Well, what message is that? It's, it's, it's the Sermon on the Mount. It is. It's Jesus' teaching. It is. It says, but he even says it here. Here's these words of mine. Here's these words of mine. His lessons, his teachings, his instructions, the gospel, the gospel. So they are both in the beginning 
they are both on the same on the same foot, on the same level. They both hear the message. What's another similarity that we find? They both built a house. They both built a house. Verses 24 and 26. They 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 both constructed constructed a building. They both constructed a building. But the question is, what, what is, what is this house that they built? And they both built it after they heard the message. Well, if you look at it, you realize in studying it that it seems as if they've built similar houses. It seems as if they're, they're engaging in the same activities. And to a gr- degree, they're working on the same type of structures. Maybe when the house is built, they look the exact same. They look the exact same. Very similar similarities there. The question for you, would you or anyone build a house if you knew it was going to fall down? Would you build a house if you knew it was going to fall down? So... If we take that thought process that this foolish man built a house, we'll find out the difference. He built it on sand. That he built a house, if he knew it was going to fall down, do you think he would stop? If I was building a house and I knew it was going to fall down, I would stop. As a matter of fact, we built a house in 2016. Um, Side note, I don't think anyone should ever build a house. Uh, don't ever build a a physical house. Don't ever build one. Um, It was a lot of stress. Probably 2016 might be, might've been one of the toughest seasons of my life. Um, We dug things out. We put a basement in there. It starts getting built. I'm all excited. I'm taking pictures. I'm taking videos. I don't really know what's going, I don't really know how personally to build a house. I do have a hammer. You know, I do have some tools in the garage. They don't get used much. But I'm watching this house get built, and I'm getting excited. Well, um, I had my friend Brock's brothers. Brock has two brothers up in PA. And I said, guys, I need someone to put shingles on my roof. Will you guys come down and help me put shingles on the roof? Uh, I'll pay you in golf, you know, in free, free golf for a you know, golf session and some pizza. And they said, because they love me, they said, yeah, we'll do it. So I show up the, the day that they're putting the shingles on, and it's the first time I've actually been able to like walk in the house and actually walk through it, especially the second floor. And uh, I climb this ladder. They're, they're up there. They're putting shingles on. They are fast. They are good. They have, they have put the front side, of the, sh- front side of the house shingles on. I mean, they were hammering it out. And I get up in the, in the, in the second floor, and I'm walking around, and I hate to bring this up for my family because they know where I'm going. And I started thinking, what? These, these rafters, these trusses, something, something's weird about these trusses. Something is unique. I thought in my brain, I thought we'd put a, a bed here, but there's only like three feet for a bed right here before it goes in this doorway. And this here, why is it, why is it like that? And, and I, I started scratching my head. And I asked Brock's brother, I said, come in here and help me, help me figure this out. 
And uh, they were pretty silent because they looked around and I told them what, what it should look like. And they said, Billy, put their hand on my, on my shoulder. The trusses were put on backwards. The trusses are put on backwards. What, what, do you, what do you mean trusses are put on backwards? I mean, I'm building a house here. I mean, I think that everything is going great. And they said, I'm sorry, Billy, the trusses... Some of these are correct, but some of these are wrong. Now, I called my buddy who was a general contractor. He came and looked at it. He said, normally by this time, Billy, someone is cussing me out and, and yelling at me and probably putting their hands on me. I said, well, that ain't me. I, I, you know, I just need to figure out how we fix it. What we need to do is we need to tear a bunch of things down. So they pulled off the shingles, pulled off the dormers, pulled off the sheeting, pulled down the trusses, flipped them all around, reset them, and continued on their way. Now, if I, if I knowingly saw that these trusses were bad and continued to build a house with, with, with false, with, with bad trusses, what kind of a person would you say about me? You would call me a fool, wouldn't you? That would be foolish. That would be foolish. What type of person would build a house on a foundation that is faulty? Both have the confidence that their house will stand. Both have the confidence their house will stand. The last similarity is both of them experience the same adversity. We know if we, again, we take verses 24 and 25, 26, 27, we lay them on top of each other. We see, it says, the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house. They both suffered the same type of, of infliction upon the house that they built. To jump to the point, the house that these men built was their life. Was their life. The life that they built for themselves. And they also faced the exact same adversity. Hit by the same outward circumstances, smashing against their home, their life read the same news, hit with the same taxes, submit to the same laws, squeezed by the same pressures, money, health, security, relationships, daughters, sons, fathers, mothers, jobs. You see, we all have the same struggles, whether we admit it or not. I know all of you look really good this morning. You're very nice. You look very nice. But we can only put that facade on for, for, for a, a certain time. We can only allow people in a certain, only, only in a little bit before, it, once you start going deeper into each and every one of us, we start realizing we have the same struggles, the same pressures the same outward circumstances that are fighting and pushing and squeezing against us. It just, it just matters what we do and how we act and how we respond to those outward circumstances. Uh, everybody, one of the phrases I always say is, everybody's got issues. Everybody has issues. It keeps me humble and it keeps other people humble knowing that I am no better 
than anyone. And no one is better than me. We all have the same struggles in this sin-cursed world. And we all have the beatings of the world against us that are trying to bust down our house and our life. So let's jump to the differences because I believe they're more important. The difference is so much more important. We have a wise and we have foolish. Again, as we overlay it, we see things that pop out, pop out to us from the, from the page. We have a wise man and we have a foolish man. So what does the word wise mean? Showing of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Showing of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Versus foolish, fool or foolishness, which is to act unwisely, lacking good sense, and possessing poor judgment. There was a difference. There was a difference in these two men, these builders. One heard and acted upon. One heard and chose not to act upon. The biggest thing is the what? The foundation. The foundations were different. You know, Matthew 16, I was try, you know, if you're trying to figure out, well, what, is it, what is, again, the parable? You try to understand the, 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 the pieces of the parable. What is this rock? What is this rock that Jesus is referring to? Let's flip over to Matthew 16. Again, let's take a moment and flip to Matthew 16. And in Matthew 16, verses 13 to 18, we have, we have the revelation of what Jesus explains to us is the rock. He says this, Matthew 16, we'll go to uh, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his, his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Then he asked this, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, Petros. Petros means little pebble, Petros. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Blessed are you, Simon, Simon son of Jonah, for there was, this was not revealed to you by man, but by the, my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. I will build my structure, my house. And you see, the, in Catholicism, they would read this and they would say, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. They wouldn't say that the rock, Peter, they say rock is Peter. One of the reasons why he's the first pope, they call him the first pope, and, uh, and they say, that, so he's the, the foundational principle of the church. But that is, that's poor hermeneutics. 
What Jesus is referring to is not to Peter. He's referring to what Peter said. What Peter said. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus himself said, yes, that's the rock I'm going to build my church on. I am the rock that the church will be built upon. Me, Jesus. So we flip back to our passage in Matthew 7. We think about it this way. Christ, the rock, his word, what he's been saying, Matthew 5 to 7, the rock, the foundational points. His way, his truth, his life, the rock that we build our house upon. But how do we build on it? How do we build on it? Practically speaking, we eat his word. We eat his word. It's a weird phrase. We eat his word. But we don't just read. We eat it. We consume it. It is what gives us life. It is what gives us energy. We're not going to go to John, John 6, but the very beginning of John 6, uh, I, I may have referenced it before because I love the passage. In the beginning of John 6, he feeds the thousands of people. He feeds thousands. They are loving Jesus. He feeds them physical food from so little. He provides so much. And we think that's a great little, little kid story. But we, we forget what happens next. The next day, he's walking, teaching, and all these multitudes are following him. And the only reason they're following him, he says it, the only reason you're following me is because you want your belly filled. The only reason why, you, the only reason why you're following me now is you're not listening to what I'm saying. You're craving the physicality. You want, this, you want self-satisfaction. You want physical satisfaction. You want, you want food. He says, okay, I'll give you food. You eat my flesh and you drink my blood. Then you will have food. Then you will have food. Again, Catholicism, they call this the Eucharist, which is they, they, they hermeneutically, they get it incorrect. It is not physically eating Jesus. It's not physically drinking his blood. It, I don't have time to go into that, but it's, it's not, they, they miss the point. He is saying, you be consumed with me and you will live. He said, he says, another, I am the bread of life. Consume me. You know what happened when he said that? You know what he happened when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood? People started saying, this is too hard. It's too hard, for me to, too hard for me to follow. And they turn and they walk away. And they walk away. And the end of John 6, the John 6, begins with thousands Ends with only 12. And he says, are you guys going to leave too? You guys going to leave too? If you can, if you want, there you go. And Peter says, where else can we go? Where else can we go? You have the words for life. Translation, you are the rock. You are the rock. And I will build my house on you, the rock. So we wonder, what is the sand then that this, per- this foolish man builds upon? The sand, if it's not the rock of Jesus Christ, there's only two choices. There's only two choices. It's either Jesus or self. And this this foolish builder, although he heard 
But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house of sand. Does not put them into practice. That's the next one, putting them into practice. The foolish man built on a self-construct. He built it himself on his own, what his own thoughts were of what righteousness is. He might see the person that is built on the rock and say, that's a good looking house. I'm going to mirror that. I'm going to make it seem like that. But the foundation is not sure. He does not have a sure foundation. There are people within the church that are living a life trying to build a nice house with a picket fence and 2.2 kids and 1.3 dogs. And they're trying to make their life look everything nice and neat. And they are building only looking at something what someone else has built truly on the rock. And they're building on what they, what they think is the best construct on themselves. Giving so that people will see as we, as we read in Matthew 5. Giving so that everyone, praying on the street corner so everyone will hear. You know, these, these prayers that mean nothing. When Jesus says, oh, you do it when no one sees. You do it when no one sees. When you fast, you make it seem, you, you make sure that, that no one sees you fasting instead of, oh, I'm fasting. You go private. You build on the rock. You don't build to look to look good and, and set this stuff up for yourself, your own self-righteousness, which is saying, which will crumble anyways. It will crumble. We cannot trust ourselves for our own foundation. We cannot do it. We cannot trust ourselves for, to build on our own foundation. I will fail. I am not that strong. I veer every day. And I must be realigned with God's word every day. In the practice, the man, the wise man put into practice, the NIV says, the new King James says, acts upon them. The ESV says, does them, the man who does them. We read in James 1.22, or we, we listen in James 1.22, if I can flip to it. As I'm flipping to it, I have a, a couple verses that I want to share with you in the meantime that talk about not just believing, but actually believing and doing and doing. My friend said to me, said one time, information without action is stagnant education. Information without action is stagnant education. The analogy of the, the Jordan River comes from the Sea of Galilee, overflows in the Jordan River. It flows out life, living life. Jordan River flows into what? The Dead Sea. All this life flowing into the Dead Sea, nothing flowing out. Where is there anything in the Dead Sea? No, that's why they call it the Dead Sea. It's full of poisonous minerals that should be good, but it ends up choking and killing. So do we want to be the Jordan River? where we have God's word flowing in us and flowing out of us, or do we want to be the Dead Sea where we just sit and listen to God's word and go out and do nothing? Matthew 10, 38, whoever does not take up their cross and follow an action me is not worthy of me. John 15, 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much 
fruit. You bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. John 12, whoever serves me must follow me and where I am, my servant also will be. Galatians 5, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Galatians 2, one of my favorites, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do, to do, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 5, follow, follow God's example as dearly loved children. 1 Peter 2, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. James 1, verse 22. And this is, the, this, is the, this is the greatest tragedy in the church. This is the greatest tragedy in the church right now, this church, our church, other churches. This is the greatest tragedy in church. It's just those who hear and do not do. It says in James 1, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Don't fool yourselves. Don't just listen and not do. You're fooling yourselves. It says, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, God's word, and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. I know. Sounds like work-based salvation to me, Billy. It sounds like I better be doing stuff or else I ain't saved. And you're telling me I better get to doing. Just like Catholicism, I have to keep bringing it up. Works or salvation, Jesus plus, Jesus plus, Jesus plus, Jesus plus works, Jesus plus rosary, Jesus plus praying five times, Jesus, Jesus plus this, Jesus plus putting money, Jesus plus going to mass, Jesus plus confession, Jesus plus, Jesus plus. Anything Jesus plus is not, is not, is not the gospel. The gospel plus anything is not the gospel. It is the gospel. We don't do this. We don't do in order to gain salvation. We don't do this in order to have salvation. We do this because of, because of our lives have been changed in Christ. We build our house on the rock. We don't build our house and hope that it, and hope that we do, hope that it would make sense on a, on a foundation that really we've never really laid before. We can't lay it anyways. We do because of a changed life in Christ. Francis Chan said this, and I'll, I'll be, I, I, I have to be done. Our greatest fear should not be failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't matter. Our greatest fear should not be failure. I mean, I fail all the time. I am a professional failure. I fail all the time. But our greatest fear should not be failure. Attempt something and fail. That shouldn't be our greatest fear. Our greatest fear should be succeeding in things in life that don't matter. That don't matter. If you want more information on that, look at 1 Corinthians 3, where, where Paul talks about things that will burn. That will burn. The wood, hay, and stubble that will burn away. This, the, again, the foundation. 
I don't have time for it. Why? Why would the foolish man continue to build on a house that he knows is going to fall? Don't we, at times, fall into that same trap of building things that the world says are sure and successful and what it means to be, to be lifted up in the world's eyes? Don't I? Don't we? We need to realign ourselves, realign ourselves to the rock, to the rock. So how can I put it into practice? It says here, the last line of people that like to fill things out in, their, in the worship notes, it says, the only validation we can ever have of salvation is an obedient life. That's from John MacArthur. At first, I didn't like it. I didn't like, I didn't, I didn't kind of made me feel weird about even writing that down. But then the more I thought about it, yes. You may be thinking, maybe I'm not even saved. I don't know. I don't know, Billy. I don't know. If you want to test yourselves, look at this. Am I living a life of obedience to Jesus Christ? Am I following what he says? Am I being like Christ? Not perfection. It doesn't say the only validation we can ever have of salvation is a perfect life. No, we are not perfect, but an obedient life. Don't get that, don't get that messed up. An obedient life. Um, I'll end with this. Uh, when, growing up as a kid, we would, I'm glad that we sang, we sang a hymn this morning. Uh, growing up, uh, the church I grew up at, uh, we sang hymns. We just, we sang them. So I have a bunch of hymns that I love. At the funeral yesterday, we were singing some hymns, and it just really brought back some uh, challenging moments, some good moments. I think that the, the ancient hymn writers, the hymn, hymnists of past, have, have much, much validity. Uh, they, there's also hymns that are doctrinally incorrect, but uh, there are many that are. And one of my favorite hymns is Trust and Obey. I don't know if you know the song, Trust and Obey. not going to sing it. I'll just read, I'll just, I'll just quote it. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. As we do his good will, as we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. I'm, I, I'm out of time, but the word abide is an amazing word. It doesn't just mean to sit. There's action in that word. And with all who will trust and obey, we are not called to just have knowledge. We are called to have knowledge and use that knowledge. September 22nd is a gospel conversation training. You don't know how to give the gospel? Show up. 90, over 95% of believers in Jesus Christ have never shared the gospel with somebody. Amazing to me, but it's true. You want to practically share the love of Jesus Christ, September 29th. You want to do, you want to do the one another's that God has called us to in scripture? Stay for a focus group. Hang out at, at, at a church picnic. Spend time grabbing coffee with somebody. Go beyond the, the, 
the house. Go beyond the house and step inside people in people's lives. We need to be built on the rock. So the question is, what decision are you going to make as a builder? Examine your life in Christ. Make the adjustments at all cost to be in line with Christ and act in accordance with Scripture to live the life that God has given you. The question now is, what will you do when you walk out these doors? Let's pray. God, thank you for convicting me and chastening me and bringing me low in reading your word and studying your word. Thank you for this conviction. I pray, Lord, that that I would and everyone here would examine our lives, that we would make the adjustments that we need to at all costs, at any cost, selling our home, changing our job, just getting on our knees in confession. Then we would act upon your word. We would not just be hearers of the word, we would be doers. We'll be doers. We'll be your children. Help us, Lord. We need you. We need your rock. We need your foundation. I pray all these things, your son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.